Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Welcome into the Autzen Audible's podcast post game edition. We're all dry from a relatively dry Saturday afternoon in Eugene, which is always a good thing. We got some rain, which helped with the fires, helped with the air quality, and then it stayed away for most of the football game between two top 10 teams at Autzen Stadium. Ducks come out of that one victorious 45 30 in impressive fashion, sixth win of the football season for the Ducks, sixth straight win for the Ducks. It also delivers UCLA its first loss on the year. And Oregon now is the only team in the Pac-12 without a loss in conference play, setting them in pole position for that chase for the Pac-12 championship game in Las Vegas in about six or seven weeks. Um, guys, This is there's a lot to take away here. Um, we were on the podcast. All three of us picked a win for Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked a cover. Did Jared, you Jared guys had a, pick? I had Jared a cover. Had a cover too. Yeah, I had Oregon win by seven. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I had six, and I think the line was six and a half. So I was yep close, but not quite. But a fifteen point win by Oregon doesn't really tell the story of how wide the margin really was, especially in the second half. Um, Bo Nix was incredible. We had questions about where Dan Lanning stacked up against Chip Kelly as head coaches. That came away. There's a lot of ways we could go. This is going to be a choose your own adventure post game show because there's a lot to talk about in just in terms of just how impressive this win was for Oregon football. Well, let's start with Andrew Boyle. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well. I mean, I am joking there, but also kind of like I thought, and for those listening who maybe don't know, Andrew Boyle is the kickoff specialist. They ran that onside kick there midway through the second quarter uh, that ended up with an extra possession. Oregon goes up two scores. It's, it's never closer than that, I think, for the duration of the game. I, 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 you know, I'm joking that we should start talking about Andrew Boyle, but I'm not really joking when I say, I, you know, I think if it's choose your own adventure between Bo Nix or Dan calling a really good game, Let's start with Dan because I think we can get to Bo in a lot of different ways later. But I, I was really impressed with with just the decisions that Dan made. And I know Matt has a story up on the site kind of talking about how, to a certain degree, Dan kind of, I don't want to say out-chipped Chip, but kind of used a lot of the uh, same strategic methods, the aggressiveness, to kind of outduel a really, really good college football coach in a really big game. And I thought that onside kick, which – Jared and I kind of we I guess we'll talk about the uh, the circle of trust yeah, that we might as that well. we, we remained in. I mean, on Wednesday's yeah. practice, they were working on onside kicks that exact play. Dan told us, "Hey, keep it in the circle of trust. Don't share it um, because you know if you if, we, if you do, you might not have practice access anymore." And, uh, and we, we decided, said, "Yes, sir." Yeah. We said, "Yep, we will keep our, our lips shut," and uh, it worked out. And it was a big momentum swing. And I think the thing that stood out for me there was. Um, it wasn't just that moment for keeping the foot on the gas. They went for it twice on fourth down in that first third quarter. 
drive. I think basically the only third quarter drive for Oregon because it was a long one. It was like a seven-minute bleed the entire clock off drive, and it started with two yeah. fourth downs in their own territory. I just thought Dan was really aggressive, and conversely, kind of unchip-like, Chip settled for field goals. Dan yeah. forced the issue. They scored touchdowns after a first drive where they they uh, settled for a Camden Lewis season-long field goal. They next six, sorry, the next six drives for Oregon all resulted in touchdowns. Um, that's really impressive. And really, you know, if not for a couple of kind of weird possessions to end the game, you could have looked up and said, hey, Oregon scored every time they touched the football. And so I think that's a credit. And Bo also gave credit to, to kind of Laning and Dillingham and how aggressive they are and how much confidence that gives an offense of, hey, we're going to put we're going to go ahead and roll the dice here. And we're going to try to put ourselves maybe in a bad situation if it doesn't work with an onside. Well, it works, and you score a touchdown. Hey, we're going to go for it on fourth down. If it doesn't work, it's a really short field for a really good offense who, frankly, we haven't really stopped either. And it yep. works. And they and they went back to it. So I think, you know, we had that kind of comments of, you know, who's going to win the, the chess match from a coaching perspective. And I, I think I would say pretty decisively Oregon's coach was was better in a lot of these big moments. Oh, 100%. Dan was this, the better coach today. And I think a lot of that goes into he was just more aggressive overall. Um, I don't think Chip Kelly had a bad coached game or anything like that because their offense moved the ball in Oregon, and we'll get to that later. But um, there were a couple of moments where Chip Kelly went for fourth downs. There was one that was inside of his own territory, like a fourth and six. Um, they First went for it. it just, third quarter. Yep. Yeah. When when they needed a score, because Oregon had just scored out of going into halftime, this was just an opportunity where it seemed like Chip should have gone for it more often on fourth down. And you know they finished two for two. Obviously, the issue with fourth down is if you don't get it, and then Oregon gets the ball, and UCLA's defense could not stop Oregon. Which brings me to why not? Let's the Bonex. Good, good, good. That should have been <laughs> Matt's article title tonight. Um, that could be the podcast title tonight is Bo Nix. Good. Um, Bo Nix, just, yeah, he was outstanding tonight. The game plan by Kenny Dillingham was great. Um, he had uh, 50, uh, over 50 yards on the ground, 51, 283 through the air, five touchdowns. He's one of four quarterbacks now in the FBS to have multiple games this season with five touchdowns or more passing. Um, he didn't have any of those in his career prior to coming to Oregon. Uh, now he has two this season. Um, he's been just – great these last couple of weeks and again you take that georgia game out of what his what his statistics are it's just night and day he's just just an elite quarterback like dan lanning mentioned at the end of the game um and he played like one tonight uh there wasn't a throw there that he couldn't make he had that bomb to troy franklin for 49 yards um i know a lot of like the the naysayers will talk about how um doesn't really throw the ball down the field. It's a lot of behind the lines things and letting Bucky or whoever's catching the screen. But that's that's not that's not a disservice to Bo. That's not a disservice at all. That just makes life easier for the offense. And um, Kenny Dillingham just had a, had a, just a tremendous game today. I thought he was awesome. I thought Dan um, letting Kenny work, just like hey, yeah, you want to go for it on fourth and short? We'll just run a quarterback sneak. All that stuff. Um, just offensively, just so superior. This was a, a great game, and I, I like Eric was mentioning, um, it felt like Oregon outchipped Chip back at home in Oregon. Um, very, very impressive game overall. 
on the preview podcast, we talked a lot about like for the pick podcast on Friday. We we talked about the conservativeness of past Oregon games against UCLA in the second half that opened the door for the Bruins either to get the lead or to get really close to winning the game. And that was not on display today against UCLA. Fourth down and four at the UCLA 37 with, I don't know, I think it was like 11 minutes to go in the game. Oregon is is leading this yeah. game by like 15 points. And the previous staff probably would have taken a five-yard penalty and punted the football. And Oregon elected to go for it on fourth and four. And Bo Nix threw what I thought was maybe the best ball he threw all day, that back shoulder dart to Bucky Irving, who ran a wheel route out of the backfield for a touchdown, 37 yards. And it was a play that it wasn't the same play design, but a very similar throw that he made at Washington State that was pick six, like the angle and the trajectory of that ball. And it was right on the money. And I thought like UCLA had like a sliver of a chance to maybe come back and get that, get that into overtime. And that play, the decision to go for it, the play by Bo Nix, and then the route by, by Bucky, just nail in the coffin dead. UCLA was dead to rights after that play. Um, But Dan Lanning's just, you know, I I, I love it. Bo Nix said it post game, like absolutely loves having, the head coach be willing to gamble like he has. Um, obviously, it's not you can't rely on it being this consistent every single time. But Lanning's decisions to be this aggressive really hasn't backfired yet. Um, feels very much like Staley as, for the Chargers last year when they would always go for it on fourth down and never really backfired until the very end of the season. But it hasn't it hasn't burned Oregon yet, and I think for the first time in a long time, I walked away from this game thinking, okay, Oregon has a superior coaching staff that, at least in the conference, you're not walking in going, boy, what happens if this gets into a chess match and adjustments are being made and how do you adjust to the adjustment? And Oregon staff has done a really good job. The game plan was perfect, and – I was I was really impressed with this staff because they were air quotes labeled just recruiters by a lot of other you know teams within the conference and I think they're showing that they're more than just that by far. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. You wonder a lot of big time twenty four recruits on campus for this twenty twenty threes. You kind of wonder what the recruiting payout will be. We'll see in the next. 24, 48 hours a week maybe, but I have to imagine this is a pretty attractive, especially as an offensive player, system to work in. And if you're a defensive player, you might say, hey, okay, the the defense maybe isn't clicking on all cylinders, as you might put it, but it's a defensive-minded coach. There's a lot of talent here. This is a team that is clearly going to be contending for conference championships and with the right quarterback in play like the one they have now, maybe more than that, you know, and I – I just, you know, back to the Bo Nix of it all, because I didn't really get a chat about it too much um, yet on this podcast. I I think his now six-game run is, and I have to run through numbers here. Statistically, this has to be one of the most impressive six-game runs an Oregon quarterback has had Mm -hmm. since Marcus. 
I mean, I don't know how many times Justin Herbert had a run like this. I mean, you think about it, 17 touchdowns, one interception, eight rushing touchdowns. That's what he's done in six weeks. That's 25 combined touchdowns, one right. turnover. I don't think Justin Herbert had a run like that. And, part, and I'm not saying because he's a, a, a lesser player. Part of it is what we were also just talking about, which is you now have an offense and a, and a, and a head coach that are much more aggressive in every facet. Um, you know, Jared, you made a comment about some of what he does being kind of underneath. There's a fair amount of that that screens and stuff underneath, but they take some shots, man. That's right, right, right. Exactly. And they every take some shots I mean, nowadays that, is screens underneath. And that's, set that's it, how it is. He set it up, and and the play action ball he had to Troy Franklin was one of the better deep balls I've seen in a long time from an Oregon quarterback. Fifty yards, right on the money. Perfect. Yeah. Ball hung in the air for felt like too long. It's one of those where the ball is in the air for yeah, so long, yeah. and you're thinking, uh oh. Hoping this is an overthrow. Yeah, yeah. Or, or or is it going to hang up there too long and the DB's going to catch up? But it, it hit, hit Franklin right in stride in the end zone. It's a great throw. Um, and there's a couple of throws that I want, I'm want. i excited to go back and, and rewatch and just check out because in the moment they felt just, just about perfect. So he is playing mm-hmm. at such a high level right now. And, you know, um, what a cool opportunity for him. Matt and I were talking about this, kind of joking. about. He's probably getting tired of hearing – why were you so bad at Auburn? Why are you so good now? <laughs> because that's sort of the question after every one of these games. Because I think as a – you know, and some of it's coming from national media who haven't been around and, and maybe this is the first time talking to him since Georgia, et cetera. But I just think most people had preconceived notions about – and I know, I know we did – about what he would be. And he has so far surpassed yeah. the, even, even to me the best case. Like I thought, I thought best case was – you know, game manager that will maybe lose you some games by trying to do too much and and will certainly keep you in games and maybe he'll make a couple of great plays here or there. I mean, he's been next to flawless now for for like a month and a half. Yeah, and it, ever since Georgia. It's really something to watch. And, and, you know, you get a sense of like, hey, Oregon can – you look at their schedule. They can – if he keeps playing like this and Kenny, we haven't talked too much about Kenny Dillingham, but we should – if, if, if everything kind of keeps clicking like it has, like there's not a team they can't beat on the schedule. In fact, they're going to be favored every game. The, every game. And yep. the Utah game will be tough. I think the game of Corvallis will be tough. Washington probably will at least bring an A game that can be competitive for a while. Mm-hmm. But this is a team that really, you know, you start looking up and thinking conference championship game early December. They win that game. They get hot here. Uh, who knows what the national discussion will be around Oregon as a potential one-loss team in the big picture stuff. I don't even know if we want to get into that, but they're going to open the door for some of those conversations to at least be had because of how well they're playing right now. A hundred percent. Go ahead, man. Eric, you, you brought up the uh, maybe the best run since Marcus. Um, I pulled up Marcus's first seven games of his Heisman season in 2014. Bo Nix has a better completion percentage than Marcus. Marcus was at 70.2. Nix is at 71 and a half. Uh, Bo Nix has thrown 17 touchdowns to three interceptions. Marcus threw 19 touchdowns. He had not thrown an interception up until that point in the game, in the season. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Uh, not bad. Marcus Mariota had five rushing touchdowns, 289 yards rushing, 5.2 yards per carry. Some of that's inflated because of sacks. I don't know how many were involved in that. Um, But Bo Nix, who has one sack on the year, has 382 yards rushing, eight total touchdowns, and he's averaging eight yards per carry. 
He has fewer rushing attempts than Marcus Mariota does by eight. So the numbers are very, very, very similar. Both quarterbacks were six and one up until this point. And unlike Marcus, I don't think, or unlike Bo, I don't think Marcus has two top 15 wins at the time. UCLA may have been ranked in the top 15 when Oregon went down there and it was like a win or you're out of the playoff discussion. It was Hunley versus him. Um, Oregon won that one 27-17. But Bo's got two top 15 wins, BYU and now UCLA, and he's Mm -hmm. looked really, really good in both of them. Yeah. I got got one more stat for you if you want that. Um, this is from Adam Rittenberg for ESPN. He says, Bo Nix is the first quarterback in the past two seasons to have a quarter that had a perfect completion percentage, 11 of 11, and three or more passing touchdowns. So he's just he's just balling out. And like Matt said, comparing him to, to Mariota's Heisman statistics, he's on he's on par for, for those type of finishing numbers. I, he's not the runner that Marcus is, but he's really efficient when he does get his opportunities to run. Um, another 50 yards in the ground today. And again, those are, Matt, I think you, you, you asked the question of, you know, how does Nick's turn a potential negative play into a positive? And, and you know, he, he really encapsulates that with what he does with his legs. It's like the pocket is collapsing and instead of taking a sack, he gets five to seven yards and that's better than losing five to seven yards. Um, I would, yeah, I think I'd, I'd like to take a detour and, and talk Kenny Dillingham for a minute because well it, we, ha- we haven't been able to talk to him in forever yes eric i just wanted to follow up on matt's point uh ucla in 2014 it. was 18th so you'd be correct on your assessment of two top 15 wins and i think we there should go. talk go ahead and talk kenny jared because it's deserving yeah man i mean it is just tremendous to watch this offense go to work um i think most of us who have watched Oregon as passionately, uh, whether you're a fan or a reporter in our shoes, um, to see an offense do these types of things is probably like, I don't know, like a, a mirage of like seeing water um, in the desert and, and just seeing these things. And you're like, holy cow, this is this can actually happen on a football field. Um, Oregon did a tremendous job setting up bubble screens in the first part of the game before hitting Terrence Ferguson with that old Jacob Breland, Mar- Marcus Arroyo throw. Um, that was beautiful. Do we want to just jump into the third quarter drive? Like, should we just go right into that now? I that was special. <clears throat> That was so fun. That was very reminiscent, Jared, of the BYU end of that first half. Yes. It was, it, it was basically the same circumstance where Oregon just wants to chew as much clock as possible. And they, they go for it on a fourth down and short in their own territory. And when they did that against BYU, you're like, what the hell is Dan Lanning thinking? This is like their own <laughs> 30, whatever it was, 35-yard line. And you're like, what are you? What are they thinking? And then you just watch it in this 14J package. And today it was a 15, 15 play, 88 yard drive. I want to say it was 13 of them, 82, excuse me. 13 of them were passing or were rushing plays. Two of them were passing. The the, the final play was a 17 yard touchdown pass to Cam McCormick. Um, just great designs, on, the, especially in that final one with, with the fake pitch outside to whoever the running back was to go back inside to Cam McCormick in the end zone. Um, it's just beautiful to watch. And 
you saw Kenny Dillingham's, I don't know if you guys saw, but on Twitter, someone posted a video of, of from the broadcast of Kenny Dillingham just going nuts and then the, the coordinator booth about how his offense was performing and he deserves it. He's been the lights out this year. Like, like I think he's only had a couple missteps like in the red zone against Washington state. You could talk against Georgia, but he's been a fire and he was just unbelievable today as well. A, a couple kind of newish wrinkles that stood out to me was, um, you know, you talk about one on that third, third, uh, third quarter drive, where it's run, 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 run. Literally, I would have to say the word run 12 times in a row to fully encapsulate (laughs) it because it was 12 straight runs. And then out of that 14-J package, I'd been wondering when they were going to do this, but they actually threw it to the fullback, who's Patrick Herbert, for an 11-yard gain, and he was completely uncovered down the sideline as UCLA, I'm sure, had done the scout and said, they've never thrown it out here. They're not going to do that. And I'm sure they're aware of that possibility. But to this point, the – uh, I guess the the kind of the, the the game tape on it was they hadn't done it yet. I mean, that, that was the first time they'd thrown yeah. out there, and they they've they only them. thrown once out of the fourteen J before that for today, right? Well, they threw the touchdown to Cam McCormick in the end zone, and I don't know if they. I can't think of another one. Those are the two I could think of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that I that I really liked was I think it was in the fourth quarter was they go two running backs and they're basically using one as a fullback where they yep. have. Yeah. Sean Dollars and Noah Whittington next to each other, and the player to the right gets the ball and runs kind of like a a counter or a sweep to the left off the left side. And and the other player, in this case it was Whittington, just basically takes out the UCA linebacker and opens up about a 20-yard run for Dollars. I mean, there's just these kind of small, subtle, creative nuances, and I'm sure there's a lot more there that we'll pick up when we watch the game again. But, um, you know, these are just things I, I noticed from the press box. And I, yet you're right on the uh, on the Cam McCormick touchdown. You caught it on the broadcast. I saw it on the replay of the that pitch to kind of get the defense moving outside. They get, you lose your leverage. You throw to the middle of the field. He's he's wide open there. Just these little subtle things that, you know, are really, really working. And, um, you know, Nix was was asked kind of about this relationship with, with Dillingham. And, and he said they're kind of almost like, you know, reading each other's minds at this point. There is a level of trust, a level of confidence, and kind of how everything is working there. Um, I think it sounds like Dillingham gives gives Knicks a lot of kind of uh, freedom to kind of make checks and make changes yeah. at the line of scrimmage and kind of call. And, 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 and there's just a level of confidence between the two of them that I think really stands out watching it, you know, live. But even more so, I think when we go back and watch it, we'll kind of see some of the nuance of, hey, maybe they were going to do this or that, but Bo was able to kind of coordinate, hey, let's do this instead. And, and that's, again, one of the advantages of not only having a, a quarterback who's really playing at a high level, but having an experienced one who has a little experience with that coordinator. And you can just tell it's a really, really healthy marriage right now between quarterback and, and, and offensive coordinator. I had one more play that I thought was just beautiful to watch, at least from the press box, where you, it's basically like all 22s. You can see everything. Um, it was the play where Chase Cota got tackled in the end zone before they scored on, I think it was the fourth down and goal to Troy Franklin for a second touchdown. Um, they ran two guys all the way across to one side of the field, and then Chase Cota ran all the way to the other side of the field. And Bo Nix rolled out, set himself up, and didn't throw across his body, but threw across the field. And it was a, just a great throw. It was a great play design. Chase Cota had his guy beat for an easy touchdown. UCLA very smartly just tackles Chase Cota and doesn't allow him to even come close to making a play on the ball. But 
Kenny Dillingham has has done plays like that before against Washington State. He had a really interesting one where they did he's, that. They did that same kind of thing twice against Washington State. Very similar. Yeah, and one of them, Troy Franklin and Chase Cota, I think were the two guys to do this. They ran like a foot away from each other the entire time that they crossed the field, and then someone, uh, Troy Franklin, jetted up, and then Chase Cota jetted down, and. Because they were so close, both guys were right there, and they didn't know who they had for the defense. And then one, both followed Troy Franklin and Chase Cota's wife. What, what Kenny Dillingham does at this age and this quote-unquote little experience of being a play caller is tremendous. And Oregon is, is, is quite lucky that he's you know best friends with Dan Lanning. First year. First year play caller. That's pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah, he, I, I don't think he'll be around here for long. And that's no inside information or anything How like dare that. You. He's he's, he's, he's too good. And Put him on mute. Spread. Sorry. Well, I I think Gonzano tweeted it best. Like UCLA's defensive, their best way to stop Oregon was have ASU sign Dillingham as their right. head coach at halftime. Like uh-huh. Jared's right. I enjoy Dillingham while he's in Eugene. It, it's yes. a matter of when, not if he becomes a head coach somewhere. Um, he's going to have a plethora of options this offseason. We'll see if he makes a move or not. But real quick before we take a break, um, I, I'm going to pose this question to you guys. Offensively in the conference, USC didn't play today, so maybe that factors in here a little bit. But I, I think Oregon's offense is the most balanced and probably the best offense in the league. Um, this was UCLA's offense was one of them or went toe for toe and basically obviously outscored them because they, they won the game, but played at a rate where UCLA just couldn't sustain it. And I just wonder, is, is this the best offense in the conference? And I don't know if we necessarily, I didn't think we'd, we'd have this discussion, even if they are the best team. I don't think we'd even get to that point of even considering it. Yeah. I, after a night like tonight, it feels like the right thing to say. Um, as we said, 545 yards, 283 through the air, 262 on the ground. Balance is the right way of putting it. They keep hitting this 200-plus yard total. I think Jared and I both predicted that one on our, our, our predictions pod. Um, Bucky Irving, over 100 yards. <laughs> devastated, de- devastated. Yeah. The least excited I've ever been for yeah. a player to re- run for 100 yards. Those who watch this podcast know why. I predicted it all season, and then I move away from it. Matt predicts it, and he uh, he gets it. And Matt, you were sweating it though because he did. The, it was the same thing. It was like the last. Oh yeah, of the fourth it's quarter. unbelievable. And he it's had 95 yards. Oh my god! It wasn't done until we went down on the field, uh, peeling the onion back. We get to go down <laughs> on the field for the last five minutes of the game. Shout out to the whoever that dude was that yelled at us in the stands. Duck territory guys, love you. Uh, oh yeah, that was very. Yeah. That, that was very. Don't cool. know who he is, but shout Duck- out to you, man. I appreciate yeah, it. Whoever you are, and then like the ne- very next play, I think, or a couple plays later, you guys were a little bit further down the, the field than I was. Bucky Irving got the yards. I turned around. Jared saw me. I went like this yeah. and celebrated. Eric was in disgust. I, I saw you too. I just was in a little bit different. <laughs> he just wasn't and I, show. I'm obviously joking around. It's he's He had a great game. It was fun to watch him play. So it's just, it's so funny because several people on Twitter, I, I tweeted about how he got his first 100 yard game. And I think a lot of people saw what I was getting at there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I'm not going to predict it, I'm not going to have, and, and I've diverted this into something else, Matt, but 
I, I just to your original point, yeah, I think you can. I think it's fair to have that conversation. I'll be curious to see, um, you know, really what this offense does the rest of the way, and kind of yep. what milestones it continue. I mean, it's, it, this is again, I, we haven't really said it. This is another over forty point game. Uh, that's every game since the Georgia game. They did scored no touchdowns against Georgia, and they've scored more than forty points every game since. They've hit five hundred yards, I think, in five out of the six games. Um, I mean, it's just been. Super impressive, and I think it's hard to argue it's not. You know, I think UCLA and USC, and maybe you include Utah and Washington, kind of in the conversation just because they've had good production this year. I I think this offense is pretty special, and in the head-to-head now against UCLA, I don't think there was any question which offense was better. And we haven't even noted UCLA didn't punt the entire game. <laughs> we had one punt. It was entire- a blowout. <laughs> yeah, you, and we had one punt the whole game, and it was Oregon at the very very end of the game. You know, and, and so. You know, UCLA's offense was not really turned away all day. They had one turnover. They settled for field goals. Oregon scored touchdowns. That was the difference, and I think that sort of proves the point we're getting at. Yeah. For the Pac-12's best offense, there's a, there's a lot of good options. I think there's a clear top three. I think it's Oregon, Utah, and USC. Um, I think Caleb Williams is the best quarterback in the conference, but when you watch USC games – because he's so talented, it looks like this is part of the offense. But he's on the run a lot. That offensive line does not hold up that well. And I know it was against Utah last week, and they have a pretty good defensive front. Not as good as it has been in years past, but he's on the run a lot. And he's really talented, and he's going to be a high draft pick, and I, I love watching him play and all those good things. But that could potentially come back to bite them at one point. And they have all the weapons, and they're going to be a running gun. They're going to – if, if they if, if Oregon and USC play, it's going to be like 52 to 45. Someone's going to win that game. Um, but like Matt said and Eric touched on, it's extremely balanced, this team. And, you know, they have 283 yards passing, 262 yards rushing. Um, they have a million yards uh, on the ground against Arizona. They have a million yards on the ground against Stanford, but in Washington State – or not Washington. Oh, yeah, Washington State – Bo Nix goes nuts because they have to throw the ball. They're capable of doing whatever with this with this offense. Um, I have a question to now ask you guys. Hear me out. We've heard a lot about you know Oregon and their loss to Georgia and how humiliating it was, forty nine to three, blah blah blah. How impressive is it that Georgia held this Oregon offense to zero points? Uh, three points, Jared. Give three points. Credit. Excuse me. Sorry. Come on. Yes. Come zero on. touchdowns. Excuse me. Zero touchdowns. Be fair. Three points total. How impressive is that? Uh, by the way, this, this uh, is going to be the. Just this is really good. Yeah. I, I was just going to say this is a long diversion before that break Matt talked about a half hour ago. Uh, that we're yeah, six six minutes ago. So thank you. Uh, probably take that break. Do you want to take the break and have the answer on those sides? Should we do a radio tease? Yeah, sure. I can do my, my best tease. greeny impression. Yeah, Send it to break, Jared. What do you, why don't you send it to break? <laughs> How impressive was Georgia's win over Oregon? Only allowing three points. Come back after the break and we'll let you know. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. 
It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Bring us back. (laughs) Welcome back to the Odds and Odds podcast. I was expecting Matt to do it. (laughs) Well, you you sent it to break. I don't know how I... I don't know. I I, I sent it to break, but... We got there. We got there. So, So Matt, Matt, how impressive is it now? We can can jump on to something else now. Uh, Well, I I mean, to answer the question... Go ahead. Sorry, Matt. To answer the question, I mean, I'd like to have seen maybe, if we're living in a hypothetical world, I'd love to see Oregon play Georgia now. Um, I still think they lose. I still think they lose by more than two scores, mm-hmm. but it's nowhere near as bad as it looked. But at the time, yeah, Georgia's an NFL team, and they basically destroyed Oregon. And I think you look at that and say that, you know, when they play an elite team, Georgia's defense rises up and shows you their true potential. Um, I, I is is there going to be? I don't think Oregon's going to come close to not even scoring twenty four points in a game the rest of the way, and to only hold them to three is probably going to be the reason why Oregon doesn't make the playoff if they run the table and they go twelve and yeah. one. Like yeah. that's the only reason why they they don't they don't get in in, my, in that scenario in my eyes because they scored three points against Georgia, which is Damn impressive. I think what it speaks to, though, is the difference between those top, top teams. And I say that knowing Oregon a year ago beat one of those top, top teams in Ohio State at their place, right? And was proved they were competitive, which is what makes this thing from Georgia so much more impressive. I think it's kind of a perfect storm of a lot of things not going Oregon's way in terms of, I'm not saying that they had like the ball not bounced their way, but you've got a new head coach, you got new. This offensive coordinator had never called plays before in a game. Defensive coordinator going against a defense or an offense that was very much in rhythm. Didn't have the ability to really, you know, come up with counters is what is what Dan has said. Didn't really have the ability to kind of punch punch back in ways that they should have. And you just kind of saw all that come together, and it was just an, a lousy game. And I think just to, you know, just to say it's really impressive what they've done since. I know I don't think we've. I think we kind of communicated that about the offense, but just in general, the run they're on right now. And I'm with you, Matt. It would be – I don't even want to really get into the college playoff discussion too much, but yeah. it'll be very interesting to see how you if, – if hypothetically Oregon does run the table here, I guess knock on wood because that's – you know, maybe it's bad luck to talk about like a no-hitter but or a perfect game. But like it's going to be – it would be very interesting to see how they weigh that game. Oregon lays yeah. a total stinker and gets absolutely diced up. And if you're going to compare that Oregon team with the whoever else is kind of on the on the bubble there, it's 
going to be a huge black mark to, to have to kind of think through. And again, I don't even think we should get into this because I think there's too much season to be played, too many tough games yes. left. But it, it will be, it, hypothetically, if it gets there, a really interesting dilemma, I think, for the committee to go through and say, hey, well, look at Oregon. Look at these 12 straight wins. They're really impressed. But, man, they just got absolutely embarrassed in the first game. Do you, do you benefit yeah. them for, or do you give them credit for all the run they had after? Or but or how much how much is that loss? Because I know Reese Davis, I, I believe I saw Zach Neal yeah, the, yeah, yesterday. quote about that. Reese Davis, who you know is hosting College Game Day, was in town and, and basically said, "Yeah, I don't think Oregon's deserving because of that loss. You can't lose a game like that and get in." So, um, yeah, I don't know. It, uh, what else do we have to talk about in this pod, Matt? Defense. I mean, yeah, yeah, let's do that. that was, yeah, defense for sure. I mean, as Eric said, that <clears throat> there was no punt by UCLA. Now. I think this was the type of game and then very similar to the Chip Kelly days at Oregon, where if you kicked a field goal against Oregon's offense, you were essentially punting because you were not going to be able to stop the offense until they pulled their first string off the football field. So they had a couple third, third down stops that forced field goals. UCLA scored just three points in the third. Um, Oregon allowed UCLA just three points in the first half and the first quarter as well. And then there was that garbage touchdown late in the fourth. Overall, though, we were talking about this, about their big three post-game as we were walking to our cars. Dorian Thompson-Robinson at quarterback, uh, Zach Charbonnet at running back, and then um, Bobo at receiver. All three guys put up, when you when you look at the stats alone, you didn't watch the game, you would say, oh, well, all three guys played good. Robinson threw for 262. He had two touchdowns. He had 38 yards on the ground. He did throw a pick, but he completed almost 70% of his passes. Charbonnet went for 151 and a touchdown, averaged seven yards a carry. And then Bobo had a touchdown, 101 yards receiving. But none of them really made like – I guess Charbonnet made a couple big moves on the ground. Yeah. But, he was really but none of them were were like earth-shattering, you know, game-changing momentum plays – and, and it, Oregon just kept everything in front of him. And, yeah, Charbonnet had a 33-yard run, but he didn't score, I don't think, on that run. And I, I was just pretty impressed with, yeah, Oregon didn't technically stop them, but they really limited the big play explosion plays, which was something Landing had talked about all week being you know, the difference in this game. I, I think it's notable, and you have to give credit for forcing field goals. I mean, yeah. I know it sounds crazy, yeah. but in, in a game where, as Matt's, Matt, you made the point, Matt, I think after Oregon's first field goal, maybe it was UCLA's, of like, kind of feels like a game where you don't want to be settling for field goals. And that ended up being the difference. I mean, straight up it did. I mean, Oregon scores touchdowns basically every drive after their first, and UCLA's kicking field goals half the time. And that ends up being the difference, really, in this game, um, aside from the stolen possession they had off the uh, onside kick. But, no, I, I think a lot of credit there. 6-12 of 12, UCLA was on third down. Not incredible, but UCLA was fourth in the country in third down conversion. Oregon, like, almost last. This is still not a great rate. This is about what they've been averaging this season, about 50%. So it's not like a, an incredible showing. But being able to get off the field at times is important against a team like this. And, and as you said, Matt, like, if you were a college football fantasy manager and you had any of those three-star players for UCLA, you'd come away going, like, that was pretty good. Like Charbonnet, big stats. Bobo had some big plays. 
yeah. DTR limited the mistakes and, and made some big plays, had decent numbers throwing, decent numbers on the ground. But I think it was pretty clear which offense was was better. And UCLA has a ton of talent on this offense, has obviously a really, really high-end coordinator game plot you know, game, uh, play caller, game planner, you know, whatever, whatever, however you want to term it with chip. And I, I think this is a great barometer for kind of where you're at and Oregon passed the test. There's no doubt offensively and defensively, they did enough. It wasn't great. It wasn't perfect. Would like to see a little bit more, um, getting after the quarterback DTR wasn't sacked the whole game. I don't know how many times he was even really pressured or I don't know if it has that. One, I don't know. one quarterback hit by yeah. uh, Noah Sewell in this entire game. Um, neither quarterback. There was ample opportunities for sacks, but he, he that's where he showcased his ability <laughs> I don't know to get away who from was going to take him down. Yeah, right. He's just Kyler he's super Murray. Hard, he's super hard to bring down. So. He slipped away. Like, the defense is clearly not as good as the offense right now. I think everybody understands that. Everybody agrees with that. I thought the defense played adequately as matt said you kept everything in front of you you just held them out of the end zone there weren't a lot of explosives um was it perfect no but on a day like this you didn't need to be perfect defensively if the offense is going to score like it did like obviously like if, if this was a game where the offense was struggling a little bit they might lose you give up 30 points you don't feel great about it that's a pretty good it's a pretty hefty amount of points but to be frank like this game wasn't really that competitive from like a suspense perspective in the fourth quarter. And I think it was pretty obvious after Oregon had its seven minute, you know, 15 play drive there in the third quarter, that this game was basically over barring some miraculous things happening. And what the Oregon defense didn't allow to happen was allow like an 80 yard touchdown. You know what I mean? Like a bunch of explosive plays that, that changed <laughs> the game. Oregon's defense forced them to go the length of the field all game. And either settle for field goals or, or or score a couple of touchdowns. I guess three touchdowns. Yeah, I think describing the defense as adequate is the perfect way to do it. They did their job when they needed to. Um, they allowed some touchdowns, which happens. Uh, but you know, coming into this game, UCLA's offense is really damn good. And again, they they're a good offense. They average over yeah. 500 yards a game. They average nearly 300 yards passing and over 200 running. Like they're also very balanced. They average over. 40, 41 points. They're third in the conference at 41.5 points a game. Um, they held them up to 11 points under their, their average. Um, I think they finished at 420, 420-something 420 for their total game, so 80 yards under their season average. Oregon's defense was fine, and they held them to field goals. They made – oh, Siri. They yelled, <laughs> apparently I triggered Siri. Apologies. Um, Siri, they, what was the score of the Oregon-UCLA game? Siri? <laughs> They can't. She can't hear you. Oh, your, your headphones, headphones. I'm sorry. I thought I was going to game the system. Sorry. Yeah, you're going. You're going to do me dirty. Um, adequate. Adequate is the perfect way to describe it. Um, the but like Matt and Eric, like you guys just went through. They limited the big plays, and the stat broadcast system that we use for all of our stats takes takes track of big plays. They consider a big play for a passing of 15 or more yards and a big play of running for over 10 yards. Um, UCLA finished with nine total big plays, 196 total yards from those big plays. Oregon finished with 19. They had 10 more big plays for 347 yards. Wow. So they had 10 more big plays and they had 150 more yards this game because of those big plays. Um, and that was, we talked about this while walking to our cards. 
the big the big plays for UCLA on offense through passing were the 36-yard touchdown where Justin Flo just couldn't catch up to the running back out of the backfield. Not a great spot for him to be in, especially when he's kind of going through injuries as he has been this year. And the other was this the the Jake Bobo, the tremendous one-handed grab over the middle of the field that went for 28 yards. Um, that's it. They, they had big plays according to stat broadcast, but nothing was over 20 yards. I think the, the other one was 19 yards. Oregon had a bunch. They had multiple big plays, um, especially the the 49-yarder, the 51-yarder. I don't remember what it is in the stat sheet. To Troy Franklin over for over the top for a touchdown. Um, I think that's the main difference. Dan preached it this week about how good UCLA was in big plays, how they were third or second in the conference behind Washington. Um, Dorian Thompson-Robinson was fine. He could have nearly had three or four interceptions tonight. He had the one to Brian Addison in the back of the end zone. Um, Oregon just did a good job of saying, if you want six to seven yards at a time, be our guest. Uh, that'll keep you out of the end zone. That'll keep us at least in a striking distance for our offense. Um, I thought I thought they played adequate. I thought there were moments where they played pretty good. I thought the pass rush got there every once in a while, but it was going to be really hard to bring down DTR no matter what. Um, yeah, adequate. That's that's the best way to describe it, and that's all they needed. I think we can maybe wrap it up with this talking point. Oregon now goes on the road for two weeks. Um, they're six and one on the season. Next week they go to Cal. That's a game where Cal is starting to crumble here a little bit. Um, we'll see what happens as of this recording. They're, they just started their night game against Washington. Um, Oregon should win that game next week. It should be a convincing win. The following week, they go to Colorado. It's the mountains. It's going to be early November. Maybe some kooky things happen, but Colorado is legitimately maybe the worst team in college football. Um, they should win that game going away. Today we saw LSU go on uh, get a big upset against Ole Miss. Next week there's a couple games that are playing out that could involve a couple teams ranked ahead of Oregon fall in two weeks same case i think we're gonna go in this is a big moment for oregon the next two weeks here if if they look good and you know winning by 15 against cal probably is not going to be a a good indicator of where this team is surging but if they can get some blowout victories we're going to go into the last three weeks of the season the last three weeks of november with a legitimate discussion of what Eric was trying to avoid, the college football playoff. You know, this is – I think the question now for Morgan is, if they're that team where we where we want to have that conversation, if they're a playoff team, should they be in discussion? These next two weeks are against opponents where they should just blast the doors off them and look good doing it. And I don't know if I'd say I would be concerned if they, if they beat Cal 28-14, to 14, but – you can't have those types of discussions that people are going to want to have with the playoffs and play by looking mediocre against below average competition. There's really only been one game since Georgia where they've not put the foot down and just blasted somebody. And that was the game in Pullman. Yep. These two games are on the road. They were much better in their second true road game in, in uh, Tucson a couple weeks ago. That that was a really impressive game. I think you're right in terms of obviously for showing off for the committee. It's important to take care of business. I think for just getting 
to a point where you reach those back three games and have a chance to make a big run, you have to be making improvements during these two weeks too, right? And I think that's the thing that like we talked about at the midpoint podcast about like kind of what has impressed me the most from Coach Lanning and the staff. And it's just the kind of the the progression to improve from week to week and kind of identifying things that aren't your best and then working on it and then seeing, you know, actual improvement the next game. And I think it's imperative. I'm expecting it, but I think it's imperative. You still see even against lesser opponents that you could quote unquote overlook to continue to see them making strides because they are going to get to these games in November against better competition than what they've got the next couple of weeks where they have to up their game. Um, I think if they play like this, they're going to be hard-pressed to lose to anyone on their schedule, right, this today if they play like this offensively. But I, the defense needs to get better, and there are obviously ways off or areas offensively that you want to see progress as well. It's hard to point to them right now after this game because they were damn near you know, perfect for time at times for most of the game, really. But I, I think that, to me, is the thing I'm going to be focusing on is, hey, not that you're ignoring results, not that the results don't matter. I just think everybody's going to expect these games to be pretty lopsided. I think they will be, most likely. But it's about making sure you're kind of continuing with that that kind of upward prog- you know, trajectory progression of improving because they're going to need to be playing their best football when they get to November if they really want to have a chance of playing for something special this year. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, I think these next two games will be blowouts. It's, it's really nice that of the final remaining games, the two road games are against Cal and Colorado, two of the two of the worst teams in the Pac-12. And like Matt mentioned, Colorado is one of the worst teams in college football. Mind you, Colorado did beat Cal, so there's something <laughs> something going on there. Um, but it's the the we talked about this a long time ago about how favorable the schedule was for Oregon if they were in this scenario. And now they're here. They are here in the scenario, and they don't have to go on the road to Washington. They don't have to go on the road to Utah. They, I, I fully expect these games to be blowouts just because Cal and Colorado just cannot hold anything to this Oregon offense. It's just going to be 40 points probably regardless of what happens. You're At this point, you're looking for defensive improvements, and these two games should be opportunities for Oregon's defense to improve. They should be opportunities for Oregon's defense to make adjustments and gain some confidence because they have to go against Washington and Utah in the next two, in the two weeks after that. And then Oregon state, like we've gone through and Washington and Utah, I know slouches offensively. Washington leads or led the conference before today with 42 points a night. And Utah is sitting there at 40.7. They just put up 45 against USC whose defense has been pretty good this year, but haven't really played anybody, but I, I digress. Those are two good offenses. This is going to be another situation where um, an adequate defense might be good enough if you go against Washington um, or it might not be. And the things that Washington does well are, once again, things that Oregon doesn't do well on paper with. Um, Utah is a team that is a little more run heavy, but we've seen the last couple of years that Cameron Rising is, is a, a, a very good quarterback in the Pac-12 and is capable of making throws and is capable of using the using his legs. These are not easy matchups for Oregon's defense. And the improvement that th- this defense has shown throughout the year is is nice, but they these next two weeks of practice and game reps they they need to get they need to improve at some point because 
it's it's it doesn't get any easier for them as a defense. The only part that is easy, easy quote unquote, is the fact that these games against these big time opponents are at home. And you saw the Odson energy tonight. I don't think we've talked or touched on this yeah. topic yet, but it was electric. Um, the stomp out cancer jerseys were were very nice looking. I, I liked them a lot. Um, the student section that had been going all day from game day showed up with a lot of energy. Um, it all was pink the, too, by the way. All pink. Very nice. Um, good job, student section, for staying for most of the game. Very proud of you. Um, I think this is the the best Odson has been in, in some years. This one felt different. Um, the, I think what the total the attendance was fifty nine nine six two, which was the fourth highest in Odson Stadium history. So, again, great environment, and that is on Oregon's side when they have to play Washington and Utah. That really helps them. Real quick, Javon Holland tweeted, game management, handshake, Dan Lanning. Oh. Even even the former players are enjoying the coaching uh, by Dan Lanning's crew. Um, shout out to ESPN for using our audio on the uh, game day show today. That was pretty cool to see. Uh, shout out to that guy that saw us again at the stands. That was that was cool. Um, uh, random guy listening to this podcast. If you're such a big fan, let us know who you are so yeah, we can be yeah. like, this is the guy who was yelling at us from the stands. We don't have any merch to send you, but we'll shout you out in our next podcast. <laughs> How about that? If you guys want merch, uh, we can maybe start. We can figure something well, out. We could talk to, to Pat, maybe. Yeah, yeah we, we can figure out some, some merch. Uh, and then uh, also stay on the lookout for our Monday podcast. Um, we're going to have a guest on the show. It's going to maybe be our opportunity to submit questions for the mailbag and have a guest on the show. We're going to be pretty excited about that. Um, so keep our lookout for Monday's show as well. But until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats.